Welcome to Seeds, a show where we talk with people who are living lives of purpose and doing amazing things that make a positive impact in our world. We take time to listen to them as they reflect on their life journeys and what has shaped them into who they are today and what motivates them to be involved in what they do. Kia ora everyone, welcome on to Seeds Podcast. This is Stephen Mao, and I'm really glad you could join me as this week we get to speak with Mao Seo Efopo, and we have a really great and deep discussion about his life, his background, leaving New Zealand, and then coming back. And we also focus in on Special Friends Trust, which is a really amazing initiative focusing on children and helping them get into sports, but also have mentors. I really enjoyed this conversation, and I'm sure you will too. Let's get straight into it. All right. Well, it's a real pleasure to welcome Mau Seal Efopo to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. Fafatai Lava, Stephen, having us here this afternoon. Uh, I'm really looking forward to talking to you about Special Friends Sports Trust, where you're the program manager, um, because I know it's doing a lot of great work out with children, and I want to find out more. But before we talk about that, I always like to go back in history. So you may have noticed in this room, we've got a time machine over here. So we're going to get into that. And I would love to find out about what was life like for you when you were, say, four or five years old? Cool. Well, I was born here, actually born in a Burwood Hospital. And um, my, my memories of, of Christchurch growing up were, were pretty awesome, actually. I had a pretty good network of um, family, and um, we were part of the Tafasili Fa'i Samoan Church. Uh, my parents, Lopeti uh, Ma'u and uh, Nivanga, they helped establish that church at the time, um, the Catholic church that was down Barbados Street at the time, and that was a big part of our lives growing up. Um, so I think for me, yeah, like if I think back to that period of my life, I always have a smile on my face. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I do remember times when I wasn't smiling as well, when I you know, sort of acted like a normal Samoan four-year-old boy. But um, overall, yeah, Christchurch for me was yeah, a really wonderful place. Yeah. And the cool thing about us having a conversation is that your sister has been on the podcast before. So how do you, are you the older brother or the younger brother? Oh, I am or? the much, much younger brother. Right. <laughs> by quite a number of years. Um, but yeah, so yeah, I know Fomina has been involved in the podcast here and she's doing some wonderful work uh, with her programs with youth in schools. Um and I think my, my association with um, the Trust is partly through her work. And I've been lucky enough that I, I, I work with her on the alternate days I'm not with the Trust. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's been really, I suppose, a bit of a, um, an evolution of life for both uh, for Manara and I. Our parents were, were big servants in the community. Mm-hmm. And I, I see their example as similar to what we're trying to do with our lives at this time. Yeah, that's great. Well, in the show notes, we'll put a link to her episode as well. So if people are interested, they can get the the (laughs) brother-sister version (laughs) of your early childhood. So, because were you born here in Christchurch then? Yeah, yeah. so all of us kids, there's six of us, are all born in New Zealand. Um, So what was that like for you growing up in in a family that, you know, you're born here in Christchurch, but you definitely have these very strong ties back to Samoa. How was that going? Oh, up? I think, to be very honest, our journey, if I speak just about myself and my mm. siblings, was quite different. So we, we, we lived out in Hewood, so that's the, the west side. Mm. And there was us and one other Samoan family on our street. Right. Um, and in our neighbourhood, there was probably three and quite a large number of neighbourhoods. So we didn't, we didn't have a lot of Samoan friends growing up. 
say close to us. Mm-hmm. We had a lot of influence by churches and stuff. Um, and at the time, our parents they thought it was best for us to be speaking English at home. So I think my journey back to back to um, New Zealand after twenty years being away is is trying to reconnect. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've got teenage boys and uh, uh, toddlers. Um, and making sure that they, um, they can reconnect back into Samoa and, and those things as well. So yeah, yeah, it's 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 at the time I you know going through schools, I went to mainly Pakeha dominated schools. I think sure. So St Joseph, St Bees, Burnside, and yeah, so Polynesian influence in those schools is very small. Mm. But I, and you know it's simple everyone, but I never felt outside of any groups. You know, mm. I never got made to feel like that. And any of those schools or in those environments. Mm. Um, we, we had a bunch of group of friends that were pretty um, supportive. You know, we you know, we went sort of, mm. nothing much phased us. Mm. We were all having a good time, you know, yeah. and enjoying ourselves going through school. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting, isn't it, how different generations would approach things? Because I, I totally understand your parents' perspective. Like, yeah. they're new immigrants to the country. They want their children to succeed and thrive here. And therefore, English is the yeah. vehicle to do that, right? Yeah. But then I can also understand another perspective, which would be celebrate your culture and your language, yeah. Yeah. Um, which I think is kind of rising more these yeah, days, definitely. particularly when it comes to te reo, that people are encouraging. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I, I think we were never distanced from our culture, but I think as kids, we probably didn't embrace it as much as we should have. Sure. Um, and that was maybe more on us as individuals rather than our parents because our dad he was uh, well you know he would be very far Samoan so very you know driven in Samoan culture and stuff like that and his standing in the Samoan community was quite high both here and in Samoa mm-hmm. um, so I think for him you know on a personal level it probably would have been quite hard having kids that weren't embracing you know the Samoan culture or you know our heritage as, mm. as much as he would have liked and stuff yeah. like that and at the same time we found those things hard too because mm. you know I suppose we felt a bit outside of those things that, mm. you know so is that something that you remember conversations with your father or was it just a feeling that you got that he would have liked you to embrace it more or yeah I think a feeling as yeah. you grow older that you know we could do better mm. um, and I think where our father, he looked at us and go, you know, just do the best you can, mm. you know, but make a start. I think that was the key really with dad is like, you know, if you make a start, you'll get somewhere. But if you don't, you know, you're just going to stay where you are. Yeah. 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 So did you go back as a child to Samoa? Was yeah, that, yeah. Yeah. So I've never spent any extended periods other than holidays, but um, at the Samoa. So, but we, I, I think... T- two and a half years ago where I was able to take my three kids at the time back to Samoa for about four months. Mm-hmm. So we, our parents went back to Samoa to live about 10 years ago, which was great for us because then that made all of us kids travel back quite often. Right. So we were able to do that probably once a year and um, those things. And having taken my older boys back to Samoa for that period of time, I spoke to my wife saying, look, if we take them back now, they won't need us to go back later on. They can just travel by themselves. They'll establish friendships and meet their cousins and we were like you know they had older cousins there that looked after them and, and so now you know my boys are 16 and 14 and they're willing to go back without um Rita or, or I right which is you know really what we wanted at the time so yeah, yeah that we you know they've established you know I suppose 
some roots there for themselves outside yeah. of um, their mum and I. Yeah, and I guess their own sense of identity. Yeah. And their grandparents yeah. are there, so therefore there's a connection, right? Yeah, and, and, tra- and now that we're residing back in New Zealand, that's really heightened for them both. Yeah. And within the schools, they'll learn, you know, a lot of um, kōpapa Māori and stuff like that, which is then asked them, you know, made them sort of inquire a bit more about the Samoan th- side of mm. things. Mm. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's, I would say, the transition for us. And it's only been four months has been, yeah, Mag- yeah, magnificent. It's been yeah. great. Yeah. Oh, that's good. So tell tell us more about yourself as a child, because <laughs> we're going to get onto the trust and the work that you're doing yeah. there. But I'm curious, what so- what sort of a child were you when you were, say, ten years old? Like, were there certain subjects that you enjoyed, or were you more into sports? Or yeah. Um. Oh, I definitely enjoyed sports a lot, and I, I was with a group of friends that were incredibly talented. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I tended to sort of run off the back of, of, um, of those guys and be involved in teams that were done quite well. Mm-hmm. I'd say my contribution wasn't fantastic, but my enjoyment levels were, you know, 11 out of 10. Right. Um, but growing up, we had, we had a pretty good network of, of friends. And I think, you know, as soon as we could ride bikes, that was it. You know, Christchurch is the perfect place to mm. just ride your bike and go places and stuff like that. Um, and yeah, but yeah, I'd say yeah, sports played a big part in growing up, mm-hmm. um, mainly because that was an avenue for us to get out of the house, mm-hmm. you know, meet new people. Yeah, um, mum and dad aren't around and stuff like that. Because there were so many of us, mum and dad weren't too involved in our sports, mm-hmm. being able to come watch and those things. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, they the, the financial side, they were able to sort of, you know, take care of that. Then we just get you know got up and you just play. go yeah, yeah, yeah. so it, <laughs> it was great with your mates. Yeah, it was really yeah. good yeah yeah oh that's good and you mentioned a couple of different schools there um as you're going through high school were there subjects that were appealing to you um to be very honest i just chose the ones i thought i could pass sure <laughs> um but yeah I, I did have a, a real love for english at the time um and for some reason in my head I think when I was about 14, I, w- I wanted to be a social worker. Right. So this work is very close to that mm. idea mm-hmm. um, at that time. What was it that caused you to think that at that young age? Had you met a social worker? Or? No, no, no I, d- I don't know. I, I think... I'd I don't s- think I knew what a social yeah. worker was when I was 14. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I, uh, working in the, the idea of working in that space, helping other young kids. Right. I suppose the idea of being a, a coach or a, a role model is maybe what I liked about the idea of that. Mm. Um, and I'd, I'd seen lots of nurturing people. There were lots of nurturing people around me, you know, mm. all the time. Yeah. Um, and I thought, oh, if I had a job, maybe I could do that in a job. And, and that I think that was the first seed of, of that thought mm. of being involved in some type of community organisation. Yeah. That's interesting because I, I always like to have these conversations to trace back with a person like what they do today but then looking for those seeds you know that's why i called the podcast seeds in some ways it's like oh something happened when you were 14 and look what you do today so talked through then you're getting to the end of high school did you know what you would do next or was there encouragement in your family to do some tertiary education or something or yeah. Yeah. I'll, so all my sisters, I've got four older sisters, and three of them all went through into tertiary education. Yeah. Um, I think mum and mum and dad they never really pushed pushed that. It was probably something that each of us wanted to experience on our own. Um, but for me, I went. I was lucky enough 
to sort of go straight into work. I ended up, um, I always had, a, yeah, probably one of the things I did have a love with, but never took as a subject, was design. So I ended up working for a furniture um, designer. Right. In Christchurch. So um, it was called Colour Cubes and they had a shop in Christchurch. So I think that really opened up my eyes into international design and fashion and those types of things. Mm. Um, and that was really interesting. So I'd done that for about two and a half years. Okay. Um, yeah, it was great. You know, I got to do product design and those things. And after the, after that, out of that, I mean, um, so my boss at the time, David, he he bring a magazine from from Germany, and I was looking, and I I really enjoyed the details and the layout of the magazine. Hmm. And then as as work sort of closed off, he said, "Look, you should maybe consider a graphic design course." Oh, okay. Yeah. So out of the, out of that magazine layout, right? I, I made a few inquiries and found out where courses might. Um, happened in Christchurch and then the following year completed a diploma in graphic design or something like that and that yeah that pretty much led into my work for for the following 20 20 plus years right yeah it's interesting in life isn't it how something can happen like you get given a magazine from yeah from Europe and oh I like this layout and then somebody I guess the the thing is that the boss or whoever it was gave you that spark as well to say yeah I, I think he made me feel that look if you if you're interested you could I feel that you could do that yeah and oh I think throughout um sort of growing up why people sort of say you know I don't say those words but they always made me feel like if you wanted to do it you, you probably could do it sure you should you should try it yeah you know? and at that time David was definitely pointing the way yeah yeah because very often I think for young people in particular they may not see it in themselves and it takes that external person to, yeah. to call them to what they could become. <laughs> and how often does that happen? But then how often does it not happen? Because the older person feels like, oh, I, I don't want to impose or, yeah. you know, like I shouldn't say something. But actually, I think that's a responsibility for us who have a few more years to see with, you know, that's the wisdom, right? To, yeah. to be able to look at someone and go, I see something in you. I see something that you don't even see yourself. And yeah. what oh, there, could you yeah. become? I think there's definitely been times in my life where I've been put in the room for a reason. Right. But at the time, I just didn't understand why I was there and maybe missed opportunities and stuff like that. And yeah. I'd say, yeah, there's, there's always signs. Mm. There's always signs. And the universe is somehow sometimes putting them right in front of you. Yeah. Or, or they're sort of, you know, sliding a note under your door and you just got to recognise them, you know. And yeah. I think as you get older, like you're saying, you start to recognise those signs a bit more often. Mm. Um, and that's definitely been a, a big journey over the last five years yeah. of, of being able to, I suppose, identify and recognise when the universe is talking to me. Mm. That's good. Well, I hope that you're going to teach us everything. That you've <laughs> <laughs> um, can I ask a question just about graphic design? What is it that they're teaching you in that course? Oh, at that time, so my, the big part of that course at the time was teaching us how to use a computer. Okay. Which I was awful. Right. Was absolutely <laughs> awful. But what I, what I was good at yeah. was design. So understanding the relationship between shapes yes. was and colour. Um, and, and so I suppose composing those elements on a page, mm-hmm. there was one thing I, I, I could really um, hone in on. And I ended up actually tutoring at that same course the following year. Right. 
And I would encourage the kids, look, the computer's one thing, but you know, if you if you can teach your eye to recognise the composition of shapes or letters and mm. uh, fonts and, and photography, mm-hmm. that's 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 the real skill because mm. because anyone can teach you or anyone can learn how to use a computer, um, and and that that's still pretty relevant to how I work now. Mm. Um, I always disguise layouts as jigsaw puzzles because. Once you take a piece away, the, the, the jigsaw puzzle doesn't work, and either it's the same as the layout. Yeah, you know, and people sort of forget when the client says, "I'll oh, just move that up or down," they'll go, "Well, I have to redo the layout." Yeah, you know, it's not a five-minute fix. It really takes another hour and a half to compose these elements. It's like it's like notes on a page for music. You take out a note, it doesn't sound the same. Mm. So um, a layout or a design is very much in the same. Area. Yeah, it's interesting to me. It's it's almost what you're describing as a form of art, isn't it? Like it, it, you're actually creating something that's. Yeah, a, a I think beauty. definitely. Um, and because I'm incredibly vain and have an ego, I just want to make sure everything looks right. Yes. You know, for for myself, you know, and and I think, you know, sometimes a layout takes twenty layouts before you get to the right one. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But there's a good principle there that you know you. You keep working yeah, towards something yeah. to get the end result. I guess the question is, was the twelfth version as almost as good as the twentieth <laughs> version? Right. <laughs> Some, sometimes I, I've, I've, I'm known to have moved something on the page twenty times yeah. in the same position, <laughs> <laughs> and you end up back where you were. Yeah. Oh, very much, very yeah. much. So there's, there's versions one through to twenty, you know, all saved in a file. Right. Yeah. yeah. And you go back to work, and you're like, <laughs> yeah. oh, wait a minute. And quite often, when I go back to version ten, it's exactly the same as version nineteen. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I guess it it eventually simmers through, and you get the the right version. yeah 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 I think so. and when you're i mean just as a practical thing when you're opening a magazine or you're walking along the road and you're seeing yeah. what other people have designed and yeah. do you you know are you judging it are you looking at I, it going i am oh, always that's... critiquing yeah and and um just for my own sanity and have i also you know having worked in in agencies and, and that i understand that um what you see on the TV or on a page has some always has a client's input on there. Sure, but I'm always kind. <laughs> I'm always kind and understand those those dynamics too. Yeah, yeah. You know that you you can see the bit that yeah. would have changed, and you oh, think, I can, oh, yeah, quite often I can go, I, I 100% know the client asked for that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's interesting. So you finish your course and you're doing that sort of tutoring and things, yep. and you're based in Christchurch. Yep. It, it, but then you ended up in Australia, right? Yeah, so, that's right. Yeah, talk us through what happened there. How did you? Um, I had uh, or have a brother that was living in Melbourne at the time, and my best friend moved to Sydney okay. at the same time, sort of thing. So they end up living in Sydney together, and I used to get phone calls normally around three in the morning saying I should come over. (laughs) (laughs) Not in those words. Um, And that lasted, I think, for a whole Christmas. Right. (laughs) um, And then eventually, I think what happened was uh, my wife bought me a ticket over. Mm -hmm. And then... Was she your wife at the time? No, that was my partner. I think a year and a half. So prior to that, I actually had enrolled and been accepted into interior architecture okay at what is now Ada. Uh-huh. so i had that year i was supposed to start i see yeah wow and then i went over to australia and yeah. then i come back and said to me right we're moving back right yeah i think i think there was a couple of a few things i didn't want to turn 30 and still be in new zealand 
and I was I was the last of all my best friends, about probably a group of seven of us, that was still in Australia. Yeah. So my best friend Mahuda had just moved over. Okay. And then then I was thought, well, I'm the only one you here. Thought, now. You're the last one here. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, you know, sort of age and having wanted to sort of done something, yeah. I thought, well, let's just go, let's just let's just move over. Yeah. And then yeah, that sort of happened, all happened in like a three month period. Yeah. So I moved over first for three months, and then uh, Merida followed. Yeah. Yeah. Three months later. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. And then, yeah. What What happened in Sydney? Were you doing graphic design work then? Yeah, the I was. Oh, yeah. So I was back into design, just a really small agency, just trying to, you know, get sort of moving. And so, and then I was working with some of the big agencies over there at the time. Done that for about, I think. Maybe five or six years, mm-hmm. um, and then we yeah. So in, in between the time we had our two children, yep, two of our oldest boys, um, and anyway, I think we just sort of just trying to you know navigate life as parents, and yeah. we'd really only just arrived in Australia, and then our oldest was born maybe eighteen months later. Right. Yeah. 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 So this is what two thousand eight or something like that. Yeah. yeah two thousand. Two thousand seven. Uh, seven. Yeah. 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 Uh, two thousand five. Sorry. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. And then the second one was two thousand and seven. Right. Right. Yeah. See, I was just tricking you there, just <laughs> testing. <laughs> so yeah. So that's really interesting. And because I lived in Sydney actually for yeah. four years, right. I was there from two thousand twelve to two thousand sixteen. So we probably walked by each other at some point. Yeah. <laughs> um, and at that, you know, living in in Sydney, living in Australia, did you feel like a sense of identity? Yeah, what, what was no, that like? not for at all. No? Not okay. All. I, I really struggled for the first two years right. in regards to um, just culture. Yeah. Um, I suppose maybe the lack of over there in regards to the Aboriginal culture, Indigenous culture there. Yeah. Um, and trying to just, yeah, I just missed it, really missed it. Mm. Yeah. And I think if, if Merida said, Let's go home in, in that first two or three years. I said, "Yeah, let's go." Right. Um, but we, we, you know, we stuck it out, um, and we, you know, built a really good network of friends and family over there yeah. during that period of time. Yeah. Um, but throughout, and it's almost twenty years there. Yes, still miss the, the cultural identity, mm. and um, I suppose not my place in Australia, but just understanding that my place is probably here. Right. Yeah, and I knew that. It's interesting that you would be gone for that long, you know, with that sense of, yeah, in a way, yeah. alienation. You know, like I'm, I'm in Australia, yeah. but my true home is back over here. Yeah, and I think I think proximity-wise, you know, knowing that Samoa was you know, five hours out of Sydney, New Zealand's three and a, three and a half hours, yeah, gave us a bit of comfort. Sure, yeah. and I think it made us feel, you know a bit more connected mm. um, knowing that those trips were quite short or you know financially possible yeah so we didn't feel excluded but definitely uh, didn't feel grounded yeah Did, yeah and that's probably the best way to you know I would say when I came back to New Zealand you know definitely felt the dirt under my feet yeah, yeah. interesting so talk us through maybe I don't know six months before you came back yeah what was going through your mind or both of your minds that you thought actually now it's time um well our oldest boy Samuel he had you know probably since the age of 10 had always wanted to go to school in New Zealand oh, okay um, and he was sort of entering his last two years of school uh-huh. so we'd managed to um 
well, he had managed to convince us now was the time. So we, we got him to boarding school um, and we had our final interview. Got a phone call the next day and said, yep, it's all good. He can go. He can. He's welcome to come So this here. is back in New Zealand? No, this is in oh, Australia. In Australia, okay. Yeah. Yep. And then Merida turned around the next day and said, let's all go. Yeah. yeah. And I think some of that fear was around the lockdowns. So, you yep. know, could we be locked out of seeing him for two years? Mm-hmm. Um, but at the time that when she said, yeah, let's go, you know, I was already packing bags. Right. <laughs> you, know? you were ready. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think I, I think it happened at the perfect time. The whole family was ready. Uh-huh. We had, had two younger kids at the time yep. as well. So we had the, they were, Sam and Sonny were, I think, 14 and 16 yep. and then we had a two-year-old and yep. then a one-year-old right yeah wow. so busy so, household yeah busy <laughs> household and we've spoken about her parents are getting older they live in, in, in here in Christchurch and, sure yeah and the ability for us to come home and, and look after them somewhat it would be perfect yeah um, just with the passing of my mother I just knew that those that timing it disappears pretty fast yeah you know yeah. um and you spoke about yourself going home, just back to Hawaii, yeah. taking care of your parents. And, and I think... It's similar call, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and we didn't want to leave it too late because yeah. we also wanted to make sure that while we're here, your parents are healthy enough that we could go do stuff. Sure, and yeah. Enjoy them, right? Yeah, <laughs> kids, that's right. The kids yeah. can go enjoy going, doing stuff with them. Yeah. Um, and your eldest son, the one who wanted to come back, yeah. what, what did cause that in him? Do you think he was oh. picking up on the vibe from you that you were unsettled there? Or? Um, I think he really loved the cultural parts of, sure. of Christchurch. Yep. And he had two older cousins, so my two um, nephews, yep. that always talked about school here. Right. And um, and I think daily, it was my oldest nephew, he actually came and lived with us. Um, as soon as he finished school, he came and lived with us for about five years. Okay, wow. Um, straight out of the out of the earthquakes he was like ready to leave type of I thing see. so I think he's you know he, he's always looked up to daily and um, I think the idea of going to school there and following his footsteps okay and I went to the same school as well yeah and so was so, that Burnside or no that no. was St. Beads. St. Beads. okay yeah. yeah so my brother went there yeah. I went there and um, I think three three nephews yeah so I suppose mm. he feels he's, he's following some lineage. <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think the nephews left it, left St. B's in a better space than what the uncles did. So. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So do you remember the moment when you boarded the plane in Sydney and yep. this was the flight that was going to take you back home? Like, descri- can you describe that feeling? Or <laughs> Yeah, um, I suppose it really felt like a homecoming. Yeah. I think for me, I love this place. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, what's just coming home? Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. special. Yeah, it was, and uh, I think you know, knowing that it was wasn't a holiday. Uh, Yeah, my, you know, my, um, as I said earlier, you know, my mum passed, my mum passed away here. Yeah. And we got to bury, bury her back in Samoa, but, you know, 
Um, you know, my mum's last breath was in Christchurch. Yeah, yeah. So it's a special. This yeah. was where you were born, grew up. This yeah, was and, uh, this was home. Yeah, you know, like I said earlier, like you know, if I, if I think back to any time in my life in Christchurch, um, yeah, it's always a, a big smile. Yeah, you know, a really big smile. And and I'm not saying that it was always happy time. Yeah, not at all. But um, you know, it, those times that were a bit dark are so far outweighed um, that I can't remember most of them. Right. You know, um, and. I think, uh, you know, if you ask about coming home, I think our, our parents had done such a lot of work in the community here. Mm. Um, and to be able to um, build upon that mm-hmm. has been really important um, yeah. to us as a family. Um, and, you know, oh, you know, now I'm back, we're back to go back back into church, in the Samoan church. And, you know, it's been a really happy time for us um, and the church that... You know, as my dad's son, you know, I'm recognised, um, not as him, but um, he, he's recognised for the work he'd done in the church and, and that's sort of been um, recognised in me, I suppose. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So it's, it's been a really beautiful time for me as a person, mm. um, you know, to look back and go back to church um, put our feet back into the Samoan Tafasili Church here. Mm. My, my youngest kids are at the, the daycare there. You know, my youngest daughter's coming home singing Samoan hymns um, and those things. So, yeah, coming back, it's, it's really, even though I know this isn't Samoa, but, you know, um, for my parents and for yeah. my, and, you know, I think of this as, as New Zealand and as really being a springboard for us all. Mm. Um and, and my kids, uh, Murda's, she's half Kiwi. Mm-hmm. You know, this is, you know, as much as this this is, you know, home for them as well, as much as Samoa is. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, I can hear the emotion in your voice, so thank you for sharing Yeah, that, I know, I apologise. No, no, no need yeah. to apologise. I, I think yeah. it's really it's really good, and it, it just shows the, the depth of feeling that you've got for this yeah. place. And I think that's really important as we're going to start talking about what you're doing today. Um, my observation on that as well is I, I grew up in Christchurch, as I told you before we started recording, and then I left New Zealand, was gone for about 12 years. Yeah. And so I was based in Tokyo, London, Sydney, like big multinational cities yeah. where you could basically walk down the road and you would not meet anyone you knew. You know, there was, you know, particularly Tokyo, there's like 25 million people yeah. in this one place. And what I came to realize is that there's some things that you just can't buy. You know, like they could pay you as much as you want to be working in these places, but you can't buy relationship. You can't buy the fact that I played basketball in 1993 with this person and this person. And when we catch up, you know, it's like, remember those times. And so I think for me, I resonate with what you're talking about because it's that context of who you are and for me as well Christchurch I feel like I can drive anywhere in Christchurch and I won't necessarily know the road name you know like the street yeah. name but I'll get there and it's just like inherent in me like I looking at the port hills I know how to yeah. get to places so it's just um yeah I resonate with what you're saying so thank you for sharing yeah thank you yeah and so um yeah transitioning from australia back to new zealand (laughs) how has that been for you and i'd love to find out about some of the work that you're involved in so how Um, did you get involved in what you're doing 
Uh, well, yeah, it, it's, it, it, the tr- transition. Um, it's been it's been really good mm-hmm. in regards to what Murder and I had set out. We wanted the kids to experience and achieve. Yeah, yeah well, I would say you know if there were ten boxes, the, the, they've ticked you know eight of them already. Yeah, and that, that's really about experiencing the culture and expanding their cultural awareness and knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, the schooling has been really good for them as well. Mm-hmm. Um, in regards to the work with special friends. Um, yeah, as, as I said earlier, you know, I was in advertising for almost 25 years and I I had brought up two pages on, on my computer and mm-hmm. I got my wife to read both of them and, and one was back into advertising agency and it was a really interesting job actually and I, I thought, you know, that's something I'd really enjoy mm-hmm. and then there was a special friends sports co- coordinator at the time um, and, she, and she said, look... Um, you probably know which one you should do, hmm. and yeah. So, uh, sent it a sent a CV to Sandy, and then and then really started from there. And hmm. I think the role that we first spoke about really morphed into you know a bigger role, and it really entertained me um, at the time. When I did arrive back in Christchurch, I, I did go back to a friend's agency, and it was just I pretty much said to him, "Look, can I come back and just I just want to see if I want to do this again." Sure. Yeah, yeah, so I was there for a couple of weeks, probably three weeks, and I, I just said to myself, no, it's not, it's, I don't this wanna, isn't it. This yeah. isn't it. Yeah. And, and, I, and I think part of coming back to Christchurch, we wanted to experience new things, mm. and um, and the universe was talking to me. Yeah, right. And, <laughs> and literally put it in my inbox. Right. <laughs> so, um, I just, in what yeah. way? You, you came in and there's a fresh email with a opportunity. <laughs> oh, well, well, I was on seek. Okay. And... Um, I don't know how that that actually popped up, yeah. but it did, yeah. and it stayed in my it stayed there because I, I I kept it for about a week before I actually done anything about it, and then the deadline came and I thought, well, if I'm going to apply, I better do it now. Right. Um, but again, yeah, yeah, it was the universe was talking to me, and I I needed to act upon it. Yeah. Well, why don't you tell me a little bit about the organisation and yeah. and what yeah, it's actually sure. doing? Yeah. Um, and maybe starting, how long has it been going? So the, it's been going for a bit over 24 months now. Yep. So it's come sort of out of its pilot stage that went through Sport Canterbury, mm-hmm. help establish the first set of kids that come through. So I suppose in a snapshot, it's a, it's a mentor program for disadvantaged kids. Mm. Um, and these, a lot of these kids are uh, in care. And probably to paint a picture of what disadvantage means, it's... For these children, you know, there'll be kids that are sort of high trauma, so it could be, you know, sexual abuse, you know, domestic violence, drug affiliate, you know, drug affected homes, um, gang affiliations. Mm-hmm. So, you know, kids are probably at the high end of, you know, so I say deprivation and trauma households. I mean, not all like that, and no, no child's experiencing all of those things, but they would, they would be experiencing a you know a couple or a good number of those mm. in the home yeah so our, our goal through the trust is to they appear off a mentor and that mentor um, they have one-on-one sessions where it's more about creating a friendship and trust and then the alternate weeks they'll work in group sessions um, and the group sessions are pretty fun they'll experience things like um, they've done fencing um, you know cycling on the velodrome um, you know, to volleyball, um, handball. So 
the group sessions are a, a, a nice sort of avenue for the kids to experience what's like to be in a team without mm-hmm. the pressures of being in a team. Right. Um, and that's it. Also allows us to teach them things like you know the rewards of being in a team, accountability of you know when you're in a team, mm-hmm. skills acquisition and execution. Um, I mean, you know, some of these kids have trouble sitting down for thirty seconds. Mm-hmm. So, be able to take stand there and take instructions—that's a really big effort for some of these kids. Mm-hmm. So, you know, sometimes the kids might be running around in a circle when you go, "What's this kid doing?" But, you know, understanding some of their quirks—you know, thirty seconds or twenty seconds—that might be that might be all that he's got. Mm-hmm. So, as a trust and as mentors, um, we work—you know—we understand that every kid has individual needs, mm-hmm. and the journey for some of them is quite fast in regards to the sporting ability or you know learning things and others it's, it's really quite slow mm-hmm. um but yeah so yeah it's in the, so there's a mentorship that goes on for about a, uh, a year um and then the mentor will help them guide them towards community sport so what we understand with um, the kids entering community sport is through the program they sort of start building a bit of confidence, their well-being gets better. Mm-hmm. They start feeling, oh, you know, maybe playing a sport's possible. You know, maybe I could, you know, play basketball. I, could, I think for a lot of these kids, people don't understand that the idea of being involved in a team on their own mm-hmm. is so far removed in, in, the, in the realm of possibilities for these kids. Mm-hmm. You know, ha- having to put themselves on a stage, you know, a basketball court is really daunting. Mm-hmm. So when, when, you know... And out of, I think, the 29 kids, we've got 25 kids that are in a community sport. Mm-hmm. So when they're saying to us, look, um, I think I'd like to play a sport, you know, it, it's really telling us, look, you know, see, oh, my well-being is good, my confidence is really good. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, what you're doing with me in the last six months is really working. I'd like to go try a sport now. Yeah. Um, so th- we help facilitate that, mm-hmm. pay for the fees or the equipment. So if they need basketball boots, mm-hmm. um, you know, or... Know, dancing shoes or whatever it might be we fully fund those things mm. and that funding will last up to five years um, mm. and that's an important part of the trust is the longer we can keep these kids involved in activity or in sport after the mentorship we feel the longer they can make you know, a network of support around them mm-hmm. so we, we see as they enter the club sports that as they do that then there's coaches then there's teammates then there's uh, parent support, then the club itself. Yeah. So they start building a network or a community around them through the sports. And if we can duplicate that year one, year two, three, four, five, suddenly that network is, is pretty large. Mm-hmm. Um, at the start of the, the mentorship, the kids really have sort of two, I suppose, two groups, mum and dad and family. And some of that's not always healthy. And the, but that doesn't apply to all the kids. I, you know, probably need to really say that mm-hmm. some kids are parents are doing as best they can. Yeah. And then there's the the school group, and that that's kind of the two communities that the, the kids work in. Yeah. For the kids that are dealing with a lot of high trauma, they a lot of them are missing those cognitive skills to deal to create friendships. Mm-hmm. So within the school s- system, I'd say probably eight out of the ten kids that are, are high trauma struggle to keep friends, make friends. Mm-hmm out of the trauma they were experienced at mm. home. You yeah. know. Um, so through the trust and through the group sessions, those skills have started to develop. Um, and because the kids see each other every second week, 
you know, they're starting to you know, use names, you know, just those basic things, mm-hmm. recognise each other, you know, even little things like high five, greeting each other, asking how each other how their day was, or even um, if they had some kids, assist other kids trying to learn things. Mm. Um, which all seemed pretty normal for most of us, but for the, for these kids, there's, there's some really, there are some big strides and big steps. Yeah. And what age range are you mainly dealing with? Yeah. So we specifically deal with 8 to 12. Okay. Yeah. So with their age, we're looking at more preventative measures yeah. rather than, or, or intervention, I suppose, yeah. early intervention, rather than kids that are sort of the 14, 15, 16 that might have been involved in some type of mm. activity or it's a crime or something like that. Yeah. So we really want to teach these kids at an earlier age to make good decisions for longer. Yeah. You know, and that's part of the the five year you know funding strategy that we we um, employ. Yeah, that makes sense because a yeah a ten year old if you can yeah. get them into a sport and get them into a community, then that might see them right through to sixteen, seventeen, yeah, right. or whatever. Yeah. And, and part of part of the new strategies that we're um, now developing is. An empowerment phase mm. where, because the mentorship only lasts a year, sure. we want to get the families involved much prior to the ending of the mentorship. Mm-hmm. So we sort of we we are now starting to work with families towards the end of the mentorship and say, look, how can we assist you to support the child? Right. Because we we now we understand that if we leave, just leave, the the, the parents are going to go, well, I still can't take him, right. or you know, I oh, still have trouble doing this. So yeah. we're just trying to work with families, go look. Let's work out how you can support him that he can still go to these, you know, these games or these trainings. Yeah. Um, so that's that's been a really good learning thing for us about understanding the families, the requirement for us to involve the families. Yeah. Rather than you know it's just a, a the mentor and mentee type of thing. So yeah. That's a really good and, learning for us. And when it comes to mentors and the qualities that you're looking for yeah. in people who are doing this role, because that's. A really important role. Um, yeah. yeah. What are you looking for? What are the characteristics of a good mentor? Um, oh, we, we had a discussion about this, and it's a, it's a funny one. Mm-hmm. Is you don't need any special qualifications, right? Yeah. It's really about. Oh, there's a vetting process, mm-hmm. um, and and I suppose through that process would really identify um, what would be the the, the personal values. That we feel you might need to be a mentor, mm. you know. Um, and we had one, uh, we have one young mentor, Callum, and he, he said, "Look, you just got to love your community." Mm. You know, that's. You know, when I asked him about what do you, what do you think you need, um, he goes, "Well, you know, you just got to love your community and be willing to to help mm. type of thing." Um, but I'd say, you know, if we're looking for characteristics, it's really those of high uh, family values and. Are wanting to to give back in the community or work in the community, um, and it, those being sort of to share their time. Mm-hmm. So at times, you know, it's one of those commodities that everyone finds really valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it's around about two hours a week that you you need to commit to the child. But if I was to put that in terms of what the change that can make to the child over over a year, mm-hmm. so it's forty sessions. Um, it's pretty immeasurable, mm. yeah. And so, we've just had an independent impact report conducted by Sport Canterbury yeah. over the last what we've done over the last you know eighteen to um, eighteen months. Mm-hmm. So, so some of the information coming back to us is you know the, the kids are really their well being, the, the whole 
the networks around them, all of that stuff starting to, to develop and be created. Mm. Um, you know, and families have come back and said to us, look, you know, um, his school works better. He's better at home. You know, it's, he's a nicer kid to be around. So, you know, <laughs> there's, there's, there's relationships that have been strengthened in the home as well. Mm. And we've even had families that have now taken on their own journey in regards to activity. Right. You know, and some families have turned up at the football games just out of the blue. Mm-hmm. So whereas they've been families have been disengaged and sort of thought, oh, this is cool. Mm-hmm. Someone gets to take them away for a couple of hours, and I get to hang out. They're going, well, I might go down and watch them play soccer as well. Mm-hmm. So you know, that's 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 been a natural and organic transition for the families that yeah. we haven't been involved with at that time, mm-hmm. um, and we're starting to see more of that happen. Mm-hmm. So I think you know, if we having a what we can see is we're having an effect over the whole family, not just the child. Right. Yeah, and that's yeah. been a really, um, I suppose, empowering for us to, yeah. to see that 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 um, happen, um, and that's just happened organically, like I said. And I suppose if we can just keep on replicating that mm-hmm. as much as we can, that that'll be the goal. Yeah. No, that's great. And I love the idea that there's that commitment from both sides really that you know two hours a week or or whatever yeah like you say it doesn't sound like much but the interesting thing the longitudinal studies and things that you can do um you may not see the impact for a year or two years or three years but then what will be really heartwarming and and amazing is in 10 years time yeah when you're talking to this 22 year old and they say it's because of that program where I got a mentor when I was 11 yeah. and that then steered me into rugby or soccer or basketball or whatever it was. And I, you know, like sometimes we measure things in too short a time frame. I think, I guess that's my point yeah. is that it's like, Oh, we, it, it costs money and it takes effort to do this. Um, whereas, you know, the immediate result three months from now, but actually it's this longer term yeah. horizon that, Imagine in 10 years what this person is going to be like. And then imagine 20 years from now when they're 30 years old and they're looking back and going, that's, you know, it's that proverb planting seeds for trees that you won't sit in the shade of, you know, it's it's a long-term vision, isn't it? Yeah, I think, I mean, I don't want to sound cliche, but it's really, you know, all the all the things you can learn from being involved in sport, you know, the mm. cognitive things, the physical and the, the mental things. It is all those things. But f- uh, as a trust, it's really about their well-being mm-hmm. and, and their long-term well-being. Mm-hmm. And we just find that as a vehicle, sports is able to deliver a lot of life skills yeah. in, a, in a format where the kids don't know they're actually learning stuff. Yeah. Um, so as they go through the, this, this process of, through the program, by the end of it, they'll go, you know, the learning, they've learned multiple things that they wouldn't have had mm-hmm. if they weren't involved in the program or involved in sports. Yeah. You know, so that's been a, that's been a really good eye for us in regards to what are we delivering long term. Yeah. So short term, there is, there's a sports element to, to, you know, to the sports trust. Yeah. But the biggest thing that we're delivering is a, a life skills and well-being for long term, yeah. you know, for these kids, you know, and that's, you know, it's part of the five year funding strategy is yeah. to, you know, if, if you can get there, we'll pay for it. If yeah. you need it, we'll pay for it. You yeah. know? Um, and I really like that because I can imagine one of the big barriers for sport, let's be honest, and, and I'm speaking from a really privileged position where if my daughter needs shoes, 
I can go and buy her shoes, you know, like it, it's a, I'm so beyond privileged, but I can imagine for some families it'd be like, oh, my daughter wants to play basketball. Yeah. Those shoes are like, how much are they? They're $200, they're $300, you know, like to get proper good quality yeah. equipment that's a barrier which would just be a massive hurdle yeah. to get over, wouldn't it? Yeah, and I think, you know, for kids and equipment, at that age, they just want to look like everybody else. Mm. You know, and so, you know, even though it's, it's maybe it's a materialistic sort of thing, but just putting the kids in the right equipment makes them feel included. You know, if they're not in the, haven't got, you know, if they're wearing sneakers instead of rugby boots, they go already, they feel a wee bit excluded from the group. Yeah, yeah. So being able to facilitate that has it, it, been really good. Uh, in regards to just feeling part of the group, yeah, um, and it's, it's just one of those small things that I, you know, like you said, as a, you know, sort of having the privilege to be able to purchase these things for your child, yeah. you don't always get to see that, you know, helps them be included in the group. Yeah, you know, yeah, definitely right, right from the from the get go. Yeah, yeah, all of this conversation resonates with something I was talking with someone named Faith Harrison, and she's involved with the Fatanui Gators Basketball Club, and my daughter plays in that basketball club and I look at what they've been able to do as a as a sports club like it's really amazing (laughs) and just to shout out them as one example of and like you're saying um, sport is the the mechanism to help the children to then have the confidence to learn teamwork to learn social skills and so for Faith I know when I spoke with her she was like it's not so it's basketball is the tool yeah, you know to, yeah, to get to the yeah. end yeah. rather than it's all about the basketball yeah. like i think for her it might not be basketball if it was soccer that would be just as good you know like yeah. um but it's it's all about understanding the importance that sport can actually play yeah in teaching yeah, life skills yeah. yeah 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 so yeah i mean like i said earlier i was, I was surrounded by these these really talented guys um, right <laughs> So you know, um, and I, you know, I got I got to run off the back of, the, of, of these guys for for quite a quite a while before I became any good at anything. <laughs> but, but you know, I, I yeah, my time in Christchurch and playing sport, well, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it was just my experience for me, you know, but yeah, definitely got yeah. I laugh a lot thinking about it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, I'm, I have an accent, but I grew up in Christchurch, so I went to Middleton Grange School, which has quite a it had a basketball reputation and that started in the years that I was playing high school. It was yeah. around Michael Jordan's sort of era and it, it became a really big thing at that school. And now it's continued on yeah. like my kids go there now and it's still a big sport there. It just shows how important sport can be and the culture that it can bring. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I think for these kids that we're dealing with through the trust, um, they'll, they'll get to experience that as mm-hmm. well. Yeah. You just got to keep them involved. Yeah. Um, and, you know, at the start, you know, it seems, like I said, it does seem impossible mm-hmm. for these kids. Um, and it probably seems impossible for the mentors too. Yeah. You know, they go, I, think, I know for a fact some of them are going, I don't know where this is going. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, you know, quite soon things develop pretty fast, mm. um, even just on a friendship, a friendship basis. Um, and that's, that's been really valuable for mm-hmm. both the mentor and mentee. Mm-hmm. And I think that comes back, remember our earlier conversation about you and the graphic design, and it took somebody external kind of yeah. saying, hey, you should look into this. Yeah. Like I can imagine, you know, I'm just imagining in my mind an eight, nine, ten-year-old, 
and then having an external person talking to them and yeah. feeding into them and building them up. That yeah. must be massively transformational. Yeah. And I think, well, I know, through the, the, the mentorship, having the kids having someone constant throughout that period of time is really important. Yeah. And I think for the kids, for someone committing to turning up every weekend mm-hmm. to do something, and sometimes that they... You know, they might go kite flying or bowling. It could be anything. You know, sometimes you know the kids go to the arcade just for now, an and they just sit. And, and quite often, it ends with a, a meal, and and they so that meal was really an avenue to sit down and chat. Right. You know, so and that's been a really good, you know, sort of mechanism for bonding as well. Mm-hmm. So they're doing activities, sit down, they might have a, a milkshake or something, and all the kids. Well, I know, yeah, pretty much all the kids, that's the part they looked forward to most. Right. Not not so much the milkshake, but the sitting down mm. and discussing the week or just catching up on stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's been, you know, real eye-opener as well for, for the mentees. Yeah. Um, and the mentees are really surprised with, the, with these, these children, how open they are um, and, you know, how given they are. And I suppose their emotions, mm-hmm. you know, positive emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they, they look at it and go, man, I can't believe what this young girl's been through. But when I pick her up, you know, she's got a smile bigger than mine, mm-hmm. you know. So, yeah. yeah. So it's like most mentor relationships. The person mentoring gets as much out of it as yeah, the definitely. person being mentored. Yeah, um, I actually think the term, sometimes it's not the best term <laughs> because it implies a power relationship yeah. of yeah. I'm the mentor, you're the mentee. I think we need to come up with some better phrasing yeah. to realize that it's a mutual exchange and a mutual yeah. learning because yeah. um, that's the best type of mentorship is it's like we're, we're both on journeys. I'm a little bit further on a journey, but, yeah. you know, I can learn even from you as a 10-year-old. So Yeah, oh, yeah, there's definitely, I think, if by the end of the year, both mentor and mentee will come out going, wow, what an experience, you Yeah. Know? This has really changed my life, and I, uh, I, you know, I know for a fact they'll both be saying that. Yeah, 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 that's great. So, if people listening are interested in finding out more, what's the best way that they can do that? So, the the best way would be just to log onto our website, which mm-hmm. is specialfriends.co.nz. Mm-hmm. Um, just give us a call. Yeah, really. Um, we do get questions about the mentoring quite often, um, and th- that for us really just starts. You know, come and have a coffee and have a chat. Yeah, just so we can explain a bit more about about what it is, what it entails. Mm-hmm. And if, if that still piques your interest, and then we can go through the process, in, you know, of, of, you know, I suppose registering you and those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the website at the moment would be the best place to start. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, in the show notes, so people listening can click and then they can read about what we talked about. We can put links. So we'll get the link to the website. So if you're listening, you can click it now and, <laughs> and find out more. Yeah. And yeah, in terms of the future, what, what are you thinking, you know, five years, ten years from now? What's the hope um, for it? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, S- Sandy, our founder, has, has quite literally just put together a five-year plan. Okay. So that's looking at what funding we might will require in, you know, throughout their five-year period. Mm-hmm. Um, so the ne- next year we're really looking at... So our mentorship starts from January through December. So 25 new kids and 25 new mentors. Okay. Um, and on top of that, we would look at the funding for 25 kids to play sport through the year. And, w- and one of the new initiatives that we just started, because our wait list 
is, is more than the kids that we've got right. in the program at the moment. What we are going to do is we're going to run a weekend or group sessions during the week weekends yes. for those kids on the waiting list. Okay, um, and that that's a new initiative, and that's purely just because we just want to get these kids off the waiting list. Yeah, we don't have capacity in the mentor program, but we're trying to you know we are going to create a program for those kids on the waiting list to get on board. You know start on the program mm. and those kids will then graduate into the mentors I see. and yeah. then that will sort of be a circular sort of motion to sort of I suppose prime them to get ready to the next step um, but we have ex- we have experienced that some kids have gone on to community sport really fast mm. so I, I think out of the group sessions for those kids on the waiting list I, I think before the term ends there'll be a number of them going look I feel I'm all good mm. let, you know let me go play some um, netball or whatever yeah. it might be yeah yeah and I guess potentially make way for somebody else to come yeah. in and yeah you know because the reality is we're all on different stages and different journeys That's and right. different abilities yeah. and all of those things yeah. so yeah. yeah so that that yeah that that will, will sort of that will require um, you know more capacity mm. from a staff sense as well yeah um, and you know, I suppose that's the nature of all trust as, as you grow and, and and want to do more in the community. It also um, requires more you know, more people and seats. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we, we're navigating through that um, and trying to work out how we can, I suppose, remain agile and, and not be heavy in any particular area where you know and sap up funds. So yeah. we're really cognizant of that. Yeah, that makes sense. And you mentioned Sport Canterbury has been involved. Is it the ambition that at some point if you can prove that it works well here, that it could be expanded beyond then, you know, to Yeah, definitely. Other parts I, of the I think I think it'd be fair we've already proven that it works. Yeah. Yeah, that that's that's been done. And the, this period right now is about scaling up. Mm-hmm. So I think as, as a program and the effects that we've wanted or the impact we've wanted in the community, that's been proven. Yeah. Then the next stage is about can we scale this up healthily and sustainably over the next period, you know, of one to five years. Um, and you know, that that's it's a funding question as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and and also when I say funding, you know, I think that's where we local businesses local entities you know we start talking to those mm-hmm. those people yeah because um, i think this is a community project where it affects the all the community mm-hmm. um and i say that because i think the kids that come out of this program they're in our community so where my kids my five-year-old and my three-year-old are walking around they're going to be walking amongst these people mm. my kids and I, I want healthy people around my kids and positive contributing people mm. and that's what the, that's what these kids will will, will be the next people yeah. in our community yeah and then, you know and their community will widen and, and so it should mm. you know well it comes back to a theme that's kind of underlying that entire conversation including your childhood and and the feelings you had in sydney which is the the value of community and the old saying it takes a village to raise a child you know because that's what we're talking about isn't it yeah. it's it can't just be this one person or these guardians or or whoever we can come in and provide extra input yeah oh definitely and i think um i think you know everyone's at a different life stage and i'm at i'm at this time in my life where i see the value in in community Mm -hmm. um and and why having a healthy community is so important and i you know i think specifically about christchurch has been through earthquakes you know on top of you know what's already happened with the pandemic and they're coming through those things so yeah i feel especially 
I feel for Christchurch because I kind of feel that they've just things have been compacted quite a lot. Yeah, and people still are still trying to recover from the last trauma, mm. and, and the, you know, almost getting there, and then something else has happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, oh, you know, I want to, I want to be in this community. I want to live in it, and the more healthy, you know, contributing people we have in it with these young people, then it's good for everybody. Yeah, you know? yeah, definitely. Well, thank you so much for your time. I've really enjoyed hearing your life story as well. And I love tracing that origins of somebody and hearing about your own childhood and the the mentorship and the input that people gave to you and then what you're doing today and the fact that you're really feeling connected with the community. And I love people who find jobs and roles that it's clearly an outworking of something that they're really passionate about. <laughs> so that's awesome. And we'll put these um, links in the show notes. And then if people are interested, you know, whether it's the mentoring or providing funding or supporting in some other way, um, yeah, they'll be able to reach out and oh. find out more. So oh, you're fifty lover, Stephen. And you know, I thank you for your mana that you've imparted in showing our trust and, and facilitating this uh, podcast. And, Sandy and I are very thankful for that. And um, yeah, thank you. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for coming on the show. Well, I do hope you enjoyed that conversation. For me, there was lots of highlights. And I loved hearing about the mentorship and the deep connections that are happening between these children and the people who are supporting them. If you'd like to find out more, then make sure to click on the link in the show notes so you can find out how you could maybe get involved too. And don't forget, there's more than 300 other episodes in the back catalog. Until next time. (music) 